I'm Sharon Batters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You know, our two sons are married, and these two beautiful women are daughters to me. One reason is because their mother was one of my dearest and best friends, and we had prayed together for our children when they were little. But then, out of the blue, these two girls lost their mother when they were 11 and 15 years of age. So when I see girls that age today, my heart often goes to that ache uh, for what they experience, imagining them at that age with their broken hearts. And I think that's why our guest story touches my heart so much. And that guest is Rachel Craddock, author of Slowly Unraveled, Changed from the Inside Out. I know that Rachel's story is going to encourage you in your own life journey, even if you have never traveled the same pathway that she is traveling. Also with us today is Melissa Weissenfels, who is the executive director of Mark Inc. Ministries. So Rachel, um, as we get started, first, thank you for doing this interview. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, as we dig in, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself today? Yes. So I'm going to start actually by sharing about my family. My name is Rachel and I am a pastor's wife and I have four young children. My um, children, I have three boys and then my youngest is a girl. Ezra is 10, Asher is eight, Caleb is seven and Lydia is five. So I have four school-aged children. And then myself, I am a teacher. I went to college for elementary education and I also serve in our church as on our women's ministry team. And I also serve on our denomination's national team. So I have a really big heart for teaching because that's part of who I am. And then I also have a really big heart for women and women's discipleship. Well, Melissa, before we dig into our conversation, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I also am a mother. I have two uh, school-aged children. I have a nine-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter currently. And Rachel, when I first learned of your story, it really just captivated my heart in recognizing, you know, that my daughter is young and as a mom, the the losing of of a parent and then how that would shape your, not only your life, but their life as they grew up. So I really would love to hear more about how you face those challenges and how your faith in Christ really played a role in who you are today. Well, let's dig in. Let's jump in. Uh, And I'd like to start, Rachel, with reading a few sentences from your book that slowly unraveled, changed from the inside out where you say the wound of my mother's soon to come passing was the beginning of the lie I once believed. Tears are a sign of personal weakness. The memory of that moment is longer than the moment itself. Or perhaps the memory of that moment has been stretched out and hangs onto everything about me. That moment, less than a minute in time, and the memory, the pieces my brain has tucked and filed away, seem to have traveled around the world through time and back again. The wrung out and revisited threads stretch and weave into my story across years, seasons, place, and relationships. That is such a powerful statement. And probably most of our listeners could go back to a moment in time where their world was turned upside down, maybe not as profound as Mm -hmm. what you experienced, but still 
they have moments that have influenced every part of their lives. Maybe they don't even know it. Mm. So why don't you tell us about that moment, if you don't mind going back to that moment when you were 14 and just share a little bit about what happened. Well, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was seven years old and she passed away when I was 14. So if I think about my life from age seven to 14, there's probably like a top 10 that I could share with you about moments that I remember that have really impacted me. But if I think about all those moments, there's one that I always seem to come back to. And it's the moment where my mom, when I was a freshman in high school, she, her breast cancer had metastasized to her liver in the fall and then metastasized to her brain. So she had been in a coma. And I remember being in the car with my dad. I was alone in the car with my dad. And I could just feel there's a reason why I'm in the car with my dad. He's going to say something. This, is, this moment is intentional. So I could feel the weight of the moment. And I was trying to prepare myself. And my dad told me, he said, Rach, you know mom's going to die. And I don't want to tell my dad's story here because I'm sure that was incredibly hard for him to do. From my perspective, I just said, I know, (laughs) I know that's going to happen. And then I turned my gaze opposite of him and out the window. And I was fighting back all of the emotion that I felt within. Because when you're young, I felt like I needed to be strong, hold everything together and hide behind this mask of, oh, I already know that. I'm okay. And I really think if I, I, I think that is where, you know, if I think about all the top 10 moments, that's really where I started to believe a lot of lies and live in an unhealthy way for a really long time. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? You were 14 years old and, you know, I just picture a 14 year old. I have grandchildren and I look at them and I, I mean, not just to think about that happening to any one of them is, is devastating to consider. But now as an adult and, and, and as an adult, um, you're dealing with grief. And it's interesting that there is a statistic that young people under the age of 18 who experience loss, like you experienced, typically do not start processing their grief until they're 40 years old. And so you think about all the things in life that they are viewing through a grid of unresolved grief. It's painful to think about. In fact, I talked with a woman whose father was a police officer who he was uh, shot and killed. And mm. she was in her 50s. And she said, I'm just beginning to allow mm. myself to grieve and to mm. deal with the grief. And so I think that's one reason your book is so important, because you talk about unraveling some of those things. But Can you describe uh, some of the ways that moment really shaped your life? I am 35 and five years ago, I really started to think intentionally about why I was having such a hard time in my present relationships and why I was having such a difficult time in my marriage and why I was getting so angry at my kids all the time. Just you know, I love Jesus, but I really do. I struggle in the present a lot. So I started to really think intentionally about, you know, Proverbs 4.23 about my heart and what's going on in my own heart. Cause all of these other things are coming out that are not 
Christ-centered and biblical. So I went back to this moment of my dad telling me that my mom was going to pass away. And what I discovered was just these lies that I believe about having to put on a tough girl front, um, having to always have myself together, feeling the, the pressure to always be okay and never be sad, yet like to just give the answer that, yes, my mom died, but everything's good and God is, God is good. I think there was just so many, I was projecting that to the world around me, but on the inside, there were so many unhealed places. And I really think these were, these were lies that kind of turned into, you know, you have wounds and then you have lies and then you have vows. And I think that this turned into vows of self-perseverance and self-protection and bootstrap pulling up. I think it was popping up. It was popping up with the way that I dealt with people in my church. Mm-hmm. And it was keeping me from community in, within the church. And it was preventing me from vulnerability with my husband in marriage it kind of became a pattern of how I was parenting my children. Do you think that one of the reasons for that was fear? You get too close to someone. If you let them in too far, you could always lose them. Absolutely. 100%. Because so I have one of my main gospel issues is control. And that is greatly attached to fear Mm -hmm. because I feel like if I can control all these little boxes, then I can protect my family and myself from anything bad happening. Mm -hmm. And I do in the present day, I do see threads of fear pop up and that's why I want to hide. And also shame, threads of shame. Another part about that moment is when I did turn my gaze and I saw my reflection in the window, I did have tears in my eyes because I couldn't hold them back. And when I noticed my dad looking at my reflection, and I saw that he saw me crying, I felt incredible amounts of shame because I was sad. Mm -hmm. So why am I feeling shame over sadness? But I still think in the present day that I do that. I think that weakness is not okay or, or weakness crying and being broken is not okay, but that's not gospel centered. That's rooted in the unhealed grief of my story. And um, Rachel, were you raised in the church? I mean, were you a believer at that time from 7 to 14? I mean, were you grounded in faith? Great question. So I grew up going to church occasionally, Mm -hmm. but I would say I never opened the Bible or understood the Bible. I really really see um, the ministry of campus outreach when I was in college. I was 21 years old and someone really entered into me. It entered into my life and started sharing their story with me. And that's when I started reading the Bible. And that's really where I think God began to change my heart from the inside out. So I would say I was 21 when I first really experienced that life change. So no, I was not a believer. And so a lot of my grief was processed as a child and without the lens of scripture. Mm. And now you also share that it was only about a year ago that you intentionally made a commitment to trust God with your life and intentionally letting go of the control that you were referring to. So, so what happened next? Last year, my whole theme for the year was to, because I was recognizing these control patterns and I really did want to grow in trusting God a lot more and step outside of my little boxes that I like to protect myself in. I 
told God I would submit my book proposal, which that was a big deal. And then I was going to go to Croatia on my first mission trip. Those were my two, like, I'm going to walk in this and trust God with these two things. And when we returned from Croatia, I had some doctor's appointments. And I have, and I've known this for three years, I have the PALB2, P-A-L-B2 gene mutation. And I learned this three or four years ago. And the recommendation then was to just increase imaging. So every six months I would have to go in, I would rotate between mammograms and breast MRIs. And I had kind of, when I was putting all this work into my book, I had kind of gotten a little bit lazy about that. So in these doctor's appointments towards the end of the summer, my doctor said he wanted me to go back to the genetic counselor and see what the recommendation is now for people with the PALB2 gene mutation. And so with my family history and my gene mutation, the recommendation has changed to that of what they would recommend to someone with like the BRCA1 or BRCA2. And that was to get a double mastectomy and reconstruction. And at first I was really shocked. You know, my book is coming out and I've got four kids. The plan for my next year was not to go through a process of surgery and recovery, but God was calling me to have, to have that surgery. And after a lot of time of prayer um, and processing with my husband, I did decide to walk in that. So that was the unplanned way that I intentionally worked towards letting go of control and trusting God. Rachel, I had breast cancer uh, when our kids were young, uh, four young children, and it was life-threatening. It was uh, advanced, and I'm so thankful for aggressive doctors who tried things on me that weren't really being done by a lot of doctors, and here I am today, you know, over 30 years later. And But I remember what that was like fear and uh, all those the unknowns and all that. And what a challenge to trust the Lord mm-hmm. with all of that. So I'm imagining that even though you didn't have cancer to make such a dramatic decision because you're likely going to have cancer. And really to me, I see it as a dying to self moment for mm-hmm. your children that you want to try to protect your children from experiencing what you experienced. You said, I'd like to be in control. That's part of Mm -hmm. your survival instinct. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you were in control during that process? And, And how did you deal with those feelings? I did. Actually, for a while, I thought, okay, I can come up with a plan for how I am going to get through this surgery. So my surgery was scheduled for November 5th. So this is very, I mean, this is just three months ago. Mm. Four weeks before my surgery, my husband was playing pickup basketball at 5.30 in the morning and he fell and severely injured his foot Mm. and needed to have surgery. And he had two screws put in his foot and he was non-weight bearing for 12 weeks. Mm. And this is four weeks before my surgery. So. I, that was another layer that I just was not, I was prepared because I thought, oh, my husband is a rock star. He will be able to handle things while I'm recovering. Mm -hmm. But then he broke his foot and I felt really out of control then because he, he could not use his legs. Mm -hmm. And then I was, I was not able to use my arms. So we, we had this interesting season where we really needed to depend on other people. That's another part of my story. That's really hard for me is saying, hey, 
I mean, if I have a hard time even accepting that I'm sad about something, it's really hard for me to ask someone else for help because mm-hmm. I want to do everything on my own. Mm-hmm. But God really invited us to a season where we had to, we, we had to depend on others. So our church really came around us. And that was really a beautiful thing. I think it's ironic that as you are waiting for your book to be published, and that is an exciting thing. I've been there and it's it's your baby and you've given birth to it and you can't wait to see it all gussied up and you know out there for everybody else to see. And you're going through all of these big changes over which you have no control. Mm. How did the writing of that book help prepare you for this season in your life? You know, I think, when I was still struggling with making the decision whether I wanted to walk in this, I was sitting around a table in my hometown. So I, where where our church is and where my hometown is, there's only like 10 miles in between where I grew up and where I live now. So a few times a year, I get to go back and see some of my friends from childhood. And I was sitting around a table with them and we were talking about the mastectomy And I'm thinking about that road that is like less than a mile from where I'm sitting, where my dad told me my mom um, is going to pass away. And I, it just like clicked. My book's almost finished. And I said, this is unravel. This is unraveling. And I do Sharon, absolutely what you said. It is a death. It's a small death to yourself. So you can live. I just thought about how freeing it is to die to the old parts of myself, because then I can really live freely in the present. I always, just as a mom with four kids, I'm always in fear that when I go to my doctor's appointment, there's going to be a lump or there's going to be something. I really felt like letting go in this way would free me to live. And it really has. I mean, it really has. When I woke up and they're like, you have a less than 1% chance of ever getting breast cancer. I was so grateful and praising the Lord. But, but you do, you have to die to live. So in your book, you explain how being slowly unraveled um, can often be a painful process, but how at the same time can it be for your good um, mm. going through those, those painful times, having those fears, feeling that loss of control mm. um, that you were talking about. Help us understand how, it's, how that can be true. Well, I do think, so the physical death of having a double mastectomy is a lot easier than the other deaths of dying to my pride. If I have to think about the other times in my life that were harder, it's when I really have to take a close look at my pride and my unbelief. That is so much harder to do than having a double mastectomy and waking up and being like, oh, yay, I'm good. Because I think it is just so much harder to go down deep into our stories and into our hearts. It's scary to do that. And it's, it's scary to self-examine because I do think that Satan kind of uses um, lies to keep us from self-examining and to keep us from believing how loved we are in Christ, even though we're unraveling. So I think dying to myself, it has to be done in community. I think I have a lot of people that I unravel alongside when it comes to my pride and my control and my fear because I need others to speak into me and remind me of the gospel. But yeah, dying, I, it's hard. I, I just think it's a lot harder to die to your, to your pride. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of um, just like a practical example. Um, and this is, 
totally different than the double mastectomy, but like, um, I have a child who sometimes, uh, gets in trouble at school. He is an active child. He is a talkative child and he struggles with focusing during work times. So he would get a mark in his planner. I would feel so when I, when he came home with like a warning mark in his planner, I would feel so angry, like inappropriately angry about this warning mark in a planner. And I had to say, okay, what is going on in my heart that is making me so mad about my child? If I believe my child is a sinner, say by grace, why am I so angry and so surprised that he is getting a warning mark in his planner at school? Angry to the point that I have to call a friend and say, hey, can you seriously pray for me right now so I don't lose it on my child? And I think just thinking about, am I desiring perfection from my own children? Or am I helping them think about their selves and their story in light of God's greater redemptive story? They're made for good, but we do sometimes, we, we are sinners and we do get warning marks in our planner. And how do we learn? How do we learn to show redemption to our children? So that, that's a different way. I feel like unraveling is hard because it's hard to say I am a sinner and I'm struggling in this. Yeah, I tell you, it, um, if we were sent home with planners as adults yes, <laughs> at the end of the day with yeah. marks in them, I think I would be very troubled by what my agenda said um, yes. if, if one was brought home to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But yet, you know, with our children, they're in that situation where they're being evaluated regularly mm-hmm. and others are commenting on them regularly. And as a mom of young kids, you know, you do, you, you see their performance as you, and you see that as a reflection of yourself where, you know, when we, if in these moments we can step away and look at it and go, Oh, someone was evaluating me today. I probably would have a, a big scorch mark on there too. But that grace is what we come back to and cling to. And I think that's so important. The one thing that you did talk about, and I think would be helpful for people hearing your story is you said that you were really going through a process of learning how to, you know, let go and just trust. And I think that's something that it's easy to say, but it's really hard to understand how, how to even go about doing that. I mean, mm. how did you let go and trust? Well, it's a process. So it's, I learned, I learned to let go a teeny bit <laughs> and trust a teeny bit. And at, then a time. I, at a time. And then <laughs> a teeny bit more and a teeny bit more. And I am not like when I wrote the book, I thought I am still in process on in all of these things Mm -hmm. and I am not yet perfect. But that's that's sanctification that in this life we are little by little being made new by God's grace and through his spirit and through community with his people Mm -hmm. in his church. So um, I think you you can't I, I used to expect Like I wanted to be completely new, like when I was 21, but that's just not the way, that's not the way it works. It is a teeny, it's like a teeny bit of letting go at a time and a teeny bit of seeing glimpses of God's grace and redemption. I think it's very helpful. And I think we all need to be reminded of that because we do want to wake up tomorrow and be different and not deal with the same struggles of yesterday. And, you know, because we prayed about it last night and today, 
we're going to have it all together. And I think it is so healthy to be reminded that it is a little bit at a time. You know, we are, we're holding on to like a steering wheel and it's like, we let go of a finger and then we're like, no, it's, we're in control. Um, but it's a little, little bit over a process. I think one of the biggest challenges we face, especially with young girls and, and women in today's society is how we are viewing ourselves, how mm. we see ourselves, the pressure that's all around us, whether it's social media or, or the news. And our culture has painted such an unobtainable goal for women and beauty and value and worth. Can you speak on how the gospel unravels our old identity and that mm. new self and how we can view ourselves? Two things here, because one, I think there are a lot of messages in our culture today that sound really close to Christian living. But as young women and young girls, we really need to be careful to not just read something because everyone else is reading it or everyone else is doing it. I think we need to be more intentional to take these books or these trends and we need to put them next to God's word. And what God says about womanhood and identity and gospel security and how we are all made unique and different. And God created us that way for his glory. So the first thing is you got to be really careful. And I think how you do that is you have older women in your life that you can talk to and say, hey, is this what the Bible teaches about biblical womanhood and biblical identity? And two, you need to be um, always coming back to God's word for yourself. And you need to be doing this with women that are younger than you. I think, um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is Ed Welch would say, you know, if we believe the gospel is true, we need to think Christianly about ourselves. And in my book, because of my story, there are a lot of times when I did not live Christianly and I did not walk in the Christian life. And I struggled for a long time. And I think sometimes if I walk into the church, I kind of go back to those times when I was not living Christianly. And I let those lies seep in and tell me that I'm not enough or I am not smart enough. I don't know the catechism well enough. I do not school my children rightly enough. And these are all lies that are tangled up in my past story. And I believe them when I'm not thinking Christianly about myself. Second Corinthians 5.17, that everyone is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's not a one-time gospel message that I need to apply to myself. It's something that I have to come back to almost every day because sometimes I fail to believe it. One of the things I talk about in, in my book is this whole, when we were in seminary and I was struggling still a lot with shame and not thinking Christianly about myself, there was, a, she's now a friend. Um, and I think what she was saying was biblical and true, but because of my own heart, I had a hard time processing what she said. I had become a Christian 18 months before my husband and I went to Covenant Theological Seminary. Um, so we are sitting there and meeting like these sweet, godly people and sharing our stories. And everyone had grown up in the church but me. And this woman says, I've never met anyone like you, someone from total darkness. And what she's saying is totally true. 
but the but biblically, I was not thinking biblically. I was thinking about it through the lens of my tangled up story. And that brought a lot of shame and it caused me to hide in isolation because I was not thinking biblically about my identity. So I kind of let these girl from total darkness themes like attach to who I was. And it kept me from living and, and Satan really did use that to keep me from living in Christian community while we were at Covenant. Well, Rachel, I know that Melissa would agree with me that we could we could just extend this for hours. We just love the conversation with you and you're being so transparent. I know that that is going to resonate with so many listeners who are going to be encouraged by the words that you shared from your own story. As we're wrapping this up, I, I want to uh, give you an opportunity to speak one-on-one to a woman who is relating to you on some level. It could be grief. It could be cancer. It could be her marriage. Um, what hope can you give her? And what are some of the practical ways that she can embrace the unraveling that mm-hmm. she is experiencing in her own life today? Two things. One is you are not alone. And two Revelation 21, God is really making all things new all the time. If you are identifying with my story, you are not alone. I think sometimes Satan uses the lies of our story and of our past to make us feel alone. But the truth is, is there is someone out there. Well, God understands your suffering and your pain. Your Savior died for you, and He understands that. But I would just encourage you, if you were to look to your right, and your left, your pain is not too much for the people that are around you. I think I would, Satan wants us to keep those things hidden, but whatever it is you're going through, there's someone out there in your church that can come alongside you in the gospel and see your story inside of God's greater redemptive story and encourage you with truth. So do not think that your story is too hard for someone else. You are not alone. And the other thing is, God is really making all things new. If we keep these things in the dark, we can't be renewed. But if we bring our pain and our suffering out into the light, I don't think Satan has any power in the light. If we have others alongside us speaking truth into us, that's where God is going to start to renew these wounds and bring healing. You know, His mercies are new every morning. And He is making all things new. And this is a daily act of living in repentance and faith. So I would just encourage you to look to your right and your left. Your pain is not too much. God really is. He is making you new. Trusting Him in the process. Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you for your transparency. Thank you for your passion for offering help and hope to others. Rachel is the author of a book called Slowly Unraveled, Changed from the Inside Out. And I am just really grateful. And I know Melissa Weissenfels is also part of our conversation and she is the executive director of Mark Inc. Ministries. And both of us have enjoyed our conversation with you so much. And if you're listening, you are listening to a podcast, the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You can visit markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you will find more stories like Rachel's that address life crises that are often experienced in isolation. You're going to find a friend in each redemption story who wants to offer you help and hope through their own life journey. 
We would love to hear from you of how Rachel's story has encouraged you. You can visit our website where you can find information on how to connect with Rachel, where you find a link to her book. And we encourage you, you've just gotten a glimpse into her heart and into the truth that she shares in her book. So we hope that you'll take advantage of this gift that she has given to so many. And we thank you for listening.